This is Bonjour Chai, the Party Like It's 5781 edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Alana Zakon, who has finally walked across Canada and is now inhabiting the wilds of the GTA. Uh, we are your frozen chosen. On today's podcast, we talk to Randall Schnoor about the state of Jewish education. We'll hear about the election from our resident wonk, Josh Liebline, and of course, all the other goodies that you have come to expect from us. So you may have noticed that Melissa is no longer here. So what does that mean for Bonjour Chai? We're actually looking for a new host. You can come hang out with Avi and I every week on the podcast. We're going to put a link in the show notes with all the info, but the deadline is Monday, September 6th, the last day of 5781. So let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And it's going to be great. I we, We've been getting good um, applications already. I cannot wait to uh, get a new voice in here and really like rejuvenate things um, yeah we want to hear from you guys if you're especially you're far away you're you're far away you're not in montreal or toronto um, we'd like some <laughs> geographic diversity on this program um so uh if you if you think you have what it takes um you know apply it couldn't hurt couldn't hurt does does GTA stand for um, great theater actor now now that you're living in in uh, in toronto alana oh stop <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. I don't think I'll put it in my bio, but if you're saying it, then there sure. There we go. <laughs> um, so this is, like you said, we are coming up on the end of the uh, Jewish New Year. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is coming up. Uh, what are what are your plans? What are you doing? You going to services? So I'm, I am going to services. I'm staying with some relatives right now um, in the GTA, and I am going to an outdoor service. So. That will be interesting. Apparently, there's a lot of people that have signed up, but they they're they're kind of like segregating different services, like a few indoors, a few outdoors. Um, so I, I'm feeling like excited to actually go and celebrate the holidays in a slightly more normal way, but also hopefully it's not like a crazy amount of people, so that I still feel safe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you going to services I mean, in person? Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, the plans, it's weird, you know, uh, married to a, a synagogue clergy member, you're, you hear about these plans changing right. <laughs> on a weekly basis and they're like, okay, this plan, this is the plan for this week. Okay. This is what we're going to do. Uh, we're doing this. Uh, no, actually we've changed our mind. We're doing that. And like all synagogues are going through this yeah. right now. And it's actually really, you know, I think that the synagogues are doing the right thing and they're really trying very hard. By reopening? Not only by reopening, by reopening properly and trying to make plans and alternate plans and alternate, alternate, alternate plans. I, I, I got really mm-hmm. pissed off actually this week when, uh, I don't know if you saw this, um, Leah Leibovitz, um, who, was, who writes in Tablet and he's uh, one yeah. of the co-hosts of the Unorthodox podcast. Uh, he wrote this scathing article really basically excoriating every rabbi and synagogue that was requiring vaccinations to come to services. He was like, stop putting, oh, no. stop putting barriers in front of people to come to services services were already in like decline and zoom is not a good adequate like you know uh substitute for in-person services and we should not be you know preventing people from coming to services if they want to come they should come and this is not your job to like do this and i was like whoa to the risk of everyone else that's there and elderly people and oh that's yeah i don't know i i think that you know First of all, there will always be synagogues that do not require vaccinations. So go to those, you know, you'll find them. And if that's your thing, then enjoy. But I think that synagogues have the right to protect all of their members. Um, and I agree. It's 
it's such a no-brainer that, you know, like since the beginning, I, I kept having this metaphor in my mind. And every week I'm looking for an opportunity to like bring it up. And this is like, to me, the most apt time to think about this, right? Mm-hmm. When I was in school, I, I used to have these rabbis that would like tell us these stories or these metaphors and like to try to teach a moral lesson or something. And the famous one that keeps popping up in my mind for the past 18 months is the guy who's drilling a hole under his seat on the boat. Right. And he's like, well, I paid for this okay. seat. Go on. I paid for this seat. It's my seat to do what I want with it. So I'm going to drill a hole in this seat under the, you know, that's it. And the guy next to him is like, no, but you're letting in water for everybody else and we're all going to drown. <laughs> and he's like, no, but it's mm. my seat. I can do what I want with it. And that is the being unvaccinated, right, in a, in a closed space. Yeah, that's a really good metaphor, actually. <laughs> right? y- yes, this is your seat. You have the right to do, but, but you're private right to do something is impinging on a public group of people and that's why people have the ability to regulate these things and the desire to regulate these things yeah no problem with a vaccine passport i don't think that it's going to you know devolve into like weirdness and i'm 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 the spouse of the clergy member and i still had to go and submit my vaccination proof because they didn't trust me just on my word yeah i'm okay with that well i mean i think it's important to check but it feels like it like maybe it's coming from a place for like the person who wrote this article of fear that the Jewish community is shrinking because of COVID and maybe people aren't going to attend in the future. Um, my personal opinion is that I don't think that that's going to change because people love community and the better that things get, people are going to want to be with other people. I mean, have you attended a high holiday service? You know, people are always yakking on the side and the rabbi's trying to get them to quiet down. It's a social event for a lot of people. I go to services you know? to pray, Alana. I don't know about you. but <laughs> I'm not saying that I do that. I, when I was a kid, I used to run around downstairs. I wasn't even inside for most of the day. But yes, um, you know, yeah. I, I think people people will crave the community. They'll want to do it in person. You know, people are over Zoom. They're tired of it. I think to be fair, there should be people that are creating spaces for unvaccinated individuals for whatever reason and not even going and saying, do you have a medical reason to be unvaccinated? And and, and it's weird because like we're essentially creating this segregated space right now um, of saying what I'm, what I'm about to say is saying like, yes, we should have a shul for vaccinated people and a shul for unvaccinated people, but it's, it's a step ahead. Is that going to be a new denomination? No, but I think it's a like unvaccinated. I don't even know what the word would be. As it stands now, all we're doing is creating synagogues for vaccinated people. And we should be creating spaces for people that are not vaccinated, for people who choose to do whatever, for whatever reason to say, yeah, you, you deserve to pray. You deserve to have a spiritual moment. Um, Hmm. well, let's create a separate space for you. Let's do something, you know, yeah, I see what you mean about trying to be inclusive and like making sure that that, you know, certain Jewish people aren't getting excluded, but it is a like a safety issue also. So right now, I don't know. That's yeah, a tricky so, so one. Let's take a room and we'll put 100 unvaccinated people in there and let them do their thing. And that's their choice. And they want to get sick. That like, sounds like a super spreader. Go do your thing. Oh, it absolutely will be. But that'll be, you know, that that's on them. Right. I mean, right now that is against the law. So I don't know how well that would go at the moment. What, but... what do you mean? You're you don't have to be you don't have to prove your vaccination status to go to you don't i don't know how things work on this side of the country (laughs) (laughs) um no they are not requiring vaccinations um just to attend vaccination proof to attend services and you can have up to 250 people so they should have 250 people they should have a space for 250 people who aren't vaccinated go go do your thing enjoy right but stay away from me interesting opinion i'll think about that one 
I don't know. We, 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 we do have to. I mean, the one thing that I agree with him is we have to address the people. Right. And we have to offer spaces for the people that aren't vaccinated. Um, but um, we have every right to go and say, I think that that is not a healthy thing. Uh, and so you, uh, you, you know, don't come in. Anyways. Anyways. Um, yeah. So, look, uh, we are going to uh, hear about the election uh, in just a second. But before we get to that, let us hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom design jewelry along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person and Eric Goldberg will make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Bonjour High listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com. CJN's own Josh Liebline has been covering the election since the beginning, and he joins us now to let us know what's been happening out on the hustings. Josh, welcome back to the program. It's an honor and pleasure to be back. I hope that I did well enough last time, and here I am again to answer more questions. You have. You passed the test. What can you tell us about um, this story that seems to be, uh, somebody, somebody pointed out that the Conservatives have uh, many mentions of uh, Israel in their platform, and the liberals have nary a single mention, despite having many special interest groups um, being shouted out for a variety of various special interests. Well, I think that what it reveals is it's sort of this more of the same as what we get when we see that the election is called on a Jewish holiday. Or uh, the the liberals think that if they can, uh, they have the Jewish votes that they're going to get. And they don't see the quote unquote Jewish community or the very or the more of the Jews who identify primarily with support for Israel as the ones that they're going after. So I think they've kind of like divided the Jewish community in their own mind into Jews who are accessible. And these would be the Jews who don't really care that the uh, Jewish that the, that a federal election will fall on Shemini Yatzeret or Sukkot or one of the other non big two holidays and the ones who don't immediately go to voting for uh, supporting for Israel as the ones that they would like to uh, vote for them. And the conservatives are all about picking up the Jews who are primarily, although not necessarily, Israel first voters. So I don't know whether that speaks to a bifurcation in the Jewish community that actually exists or ones that has come into existence um, based on how these two parties have kind of like conceptualized the Jewish community. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm from Montreal and I just spent the last three weeks walking around seeing all the signs. And I know that growing up in Montreal, that the liberals are the popular Jewish vote, which is extremely different from Toronto, where I just moved today, um, where it's majority conservative from what I understand. And most of the Jews that I know in uh, Montreal are very supportive of Israel. So I don't know that it does. I don't know if that is representative of the actual communities themselves. This is kind of a, of a uh, heuristic or a think or a way of thinking that the uh, political parties are using to uh, kind of, and it doesn't really, uh, and it doesn't really uh, capture all the nuances within the Jewish community, but they're not really going for that. They think that they can do fairly well across the board. And, right. I'm, and I am vaguely aware, this is not being a Montrealer myself, of the historical liberal, uh, associating between the liberal party and the Jewish community. But I do know that the conservative candidates that ha are in writings like uh, Mont Royal and uh, Notre Dame de Grasse have gone pretty hard on Israel and picked up votes that way. 
So I don't think that the CPC sees those ridings hmm. as targets. So if the liberals are able to win ridings based on what they're doing, that's the plan that they have that they have, and they're going to stick to it, regardless of whether us in the Jewish community really feel that that captures the nuances on the ground. And I think if you move venture outside the Jewish community and you talk to those um, interest groups that you mentioned, you'll find that the parties are not trying to be – they cannot be all things to all people, and that's just being fair. So they're going to do the um, the most broad and nuance-free ways of capturing votes that they can. And it, depending on what sort of group you're, you're with, that's how they're going to be doing it. So it's not just the Jewish community. But doesn't that go back to what I, we spoke about last time, which is in my sense of it is that the parties don't, or at least the party brain trusts, don't see many people in the Jewish community as being swing voters. They just assume that you're either in or you're out, and we're not going to need to cater that much to you one way or another. I mean, the liberals pride themselves on being a big tent party. And when they do that, you can't really um, make shifts that may alienate parts of your other of your base. The conservatives do this too, the NDP do this too, but to a lesser extent. So if the liberals feel like they can pick up however most like if they don't th- if they don't think their accessible voters are in places like Thornhill or places like York Center, they're willing to let those go if it means pick up someplace else. And this is the balancing act that takes place when they I write the, the platform. This is why a lot of the platforms don't have a lot of difference between them. And this is why the candidates talk in broad generalities. You don't really see a lot of uh, really important issues that may be important to Jews that may not be Jewish issues be the focus of the campaign. And this is why the parties are constantly trying to one-up themselves on the margins about whether this group of protesters is chasing after Trudeau's bus or whether Aaron O'Toole supports for-profit health care or not. These are these are like very broad swipes, which are used to kind of like grab as many people who may be switching their vote based on how anti-abortion Aaron O'Toole seems or how pro pro or anti-free market Jagmeet Singh seems. What may look at to like the, the, the people running these elections are as good as you can get here in Canada at knowing how to pitch their message so that it picks up the most accessible voters. So if they're swing, if they feel like right. there are swing voters to be had, you'll see the message coming out of their mouth. If they don't feel like there is, then they won't. It really, they have a finite amount of time, a finite amount of energy, and a finite amount of resources. They got five weeks to make the campaign for your pitch, for your vote. And because they think, well, not many people are paying attention, they can't spend a lot of time um, focusing on one or two swing voters here. They, it's, it's, it's a resource game, basically. Right. Moving away from the logistics, have there been any interesting occurrences since last week when we spoke to you within the Jewish candidates or in general with the election? Well, there's been lots of interesting stuff with the election. I don't know how many, uh, how many, how much normal people in the election would, would really pay attention to this. Like, yes, like today, the liberals uh, put out their platform and then they had to spend a whole lot of time deflecting or dealing with questions about an appropriate behavior from a liberal MP, actually my MP here in Kitchener Center, about how he was behaving towards his staff. So if you're a political junkie and you really care about how the liberals, how the liberals really executed their platform and really got their message out or not, really they really they really got their message out or didn't, that's something that appeals to you. That's very interesting. But again, if you're looking for some specific Jewish issue or Jewish hook that's really going to interest you, you're stuck thinking you're stuck counting the number of times the the conservatives put Israel in their platform. And that's what uh, you and that's why you what you want to be thinking about. It's what you're saying is 
We're fishing here. Vo- all voters all across the Everyone's country fishing. are fishing because it's a very broad pond and you can only catch so many fish. I hear that. Mm-hmm. Who's their fish of the week then? Tell us about uh, <laughs> uh, interesting Jewish candidate of the week that we should be uh, keeping our eyes on. Well, uh, we've got in your writing, uh, the writing of Notre Dame de Grasse, um, Westmount, which is NDG Westmount, NDG Westmount represent. Um, uh, we have an interesting Jewish candidate that is not on most people's radars, so I'm going to give him a bit of a shout. His name's David Freiheit. He's a uh, he's the PPC candidate for Notre Dame de Grasse Westmount, and he is pretty much the only Jewish, visibly the Jewish Jewish member of the of the People's Party of Canada. That's Maxime Bernier's party, and he has a YouTube uh, channel called Viva Fry where he does things like get exercised about. Maxime Bernier being excluded from the debates because the consortium cut him out, and it's terrible, and it's a tragedy, and he's very animated about it. He's got a very Ezra Levant-like energy, and I said, I and everyone who, and again, if if you're an Ezra Levant fan, you're going to love that. If you're not an Ezra Levant fan, you're not going <laughs> to love that. And he may be tweeting us to let us know what he thinks about that. But if you want to see a Jewish candidate that is a, that is not your Yara Sachs and your Melissa Lansman's, um, you, I would recommend giving uh, David Freiheit a look at Viva Fry on YouTube. Excellent. All right. Um, what's interesting is, uh, I'm, have the liberal, have the conservatives even, uh, they haven't even nominated somebody yet in our writing, which is interesting. Um, but I mean, it's almost certainly going to go to Mark Garneau. The, the conservative candidate last yep. time was a Jewish lawyer. Um, I remember this distinctly because I will not mention him by name, but he came into synagogue and he asked me for my, for, for my vote. And, uh, I, I thought that it was highly inappropriate on a Jewish holiday to come in to, you know, ride to, to, to canvas in synagogue. And uh, I told him, I said, listen, I'll vote for anybody who can answer in the affirmative the following question. Um, have you ever been to space? That's a very diplomatic question. Josh Liebline, thank you very much. Follow Josh Liebline's dispatches uh, on the CJN, the new revamped CJN website. And uh, let's hear what he has to say. And we look forward to hearing from you again next week. Of course. Looking forward to being back, Abby. Speaking of the election, if you haven't heard, I will be hosting an election debate along with the host of the CJN Daily, Ellen Bessner. The CJN and CJ are teaming up to host an online debate on September 13th with members of all major parties to discuss issues of importance to the Jewish community. You can actually record and submit a question online. We may use it in the actual debate. So record your question, find out more information, visit thecjn.ca slash debate. That's the cjn.ca slash debate. It's September 13th, 7.30 p.m. Join us. One of the perennial sources of hand-wringing in the Jewish community is the state of Jewish education and day school enrollment. Numbers are always down and the quality of the schools always need to be improved. With the start of the new school year, we figured it was a good time to take a deeper look at these questions and we are honored to have Dr. Randall Schnoor with us to discuss this. Dr. Schnoor is a professor at York University and has written multiple works on policy and sociology with regards to the Canadian Jewish community. Randall, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Oh, great to be here, Avi. Thanks for having me. So just to start us off, we were wondering if you can paint us a little bit of a picture of where we're at now in terms of Jewish education enrollment. Like, is there a decline? Is that just hearsay? Where where are we at? Well, there is a decline, but I think it might be helpful to think about uh, the situation in the longer term before mm-hmm. we get to the, you know, the doom and gloom of where we are now, as we like to think about it. Do you know what I mean, Alana? In terms of the pandemic, you mean, or just in general, like what, what, where are we going? Well, what, what I'm getting at is 
in order for us to have such a decline that we're talking about, we needed to have quite a rise in Jewish education. And um, Canada and Toronto in particular is really one of, one of the shining stars of Jewish day school education. You know, mm-hmm. starting as early as the 1940s, we had uh, the Associated and Eitz Chaim start. And, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to give uh, your listeners a sense of sort of the the rise and the success of Jewish day school in Toronto Um the 1960s, mm-hmm. uh, we, we have the United Synagogue Day School in the 1970s, Leo Beck, and then in the 1990s, we have Heschel and Paul Penna and Montessori Jewish Day School and, and many others that I haven't mentioned. And the numbers just climbed over those decades so that Toronto is really seen as a, really a leading uh, force in Montreal as well, Um where we had maybe 3,000 students in the Jewish day school system in the 70s and then jumped very quickly to 8,000. And I would say we were at a peak of over 11,000 around 2005. So that kind of takes us to to our great uh, peak. And then uh, we can talk about a decline. But let's, let's give credit where credit is due to Toronto and UJA Federation of Toronto and all the... Jewish educators for building um, so many different Jewish day schools in, in, in this city. You know, I know Toronto the best, but uh, in mm-hmm. Montreal and, and Winnipeg and Vancouver and other cities in Canada. I, I, I love that that uh, we have this rich history here. I grew up in Montreal and went through the whole system. I guess I'm just wondering, where do we where do we go from here? So if there's been a bit of a decline and maybe it's COVID related, maybe it's not. And we can talk about that further afterwards. Where do you see uh, Jewish education in Canada over the next five years as we recover from the pandemic? What do you think it will look like? Well, maybe this is a chance to talk a bit about the pandemic. And a lot of uh, indications, Alana, are that that the Jewish day schools did fairly well uh, in okay. terms of uh, the pandemic. Yeah, have you heard about that as well? No, I haven't. Enlighten us. Well, Avi has kids. I don't have kids. Yeah. Ah, I kids. I, yeah. Well, I got kids. This is the difference. I, I, I'm also a former day school educator. And, uh, but I mean, from what I've seen or from what I've heard, the, the, the bump that we've seen in the past year or two has been primarily not necessarily related to the quality of Jewish education, but the quality of adherence to various COVID protocols and um, trying to keep an environment that is safe, that people felt that other schools weren't as safe as some of the Jewish day schools. Well, yeah, that's what I've noticed as well, is that uh, parents who had kids in public schools started to look at how these public schools were handling the the pandemic in terms of um, equipment, technology, in terms of how well they're communicating to their parents and how quickly they're pivoting to an online environment. And I would say from what I've seen that the Jewish day schools have generally done that better than the public schools. And I have uh, teenage hmm. kids. Uh, I don't know how old your kids are, Avi. Okay. Uh, eight, nine, and 11. Oh, wow. You've got two, a whole crew there. Two weeks shy of a bat mitzvah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So I've got a uh, 16-year-old and a 15-year-old. And w- one is at uh, Tannenbaum okay. Chat, and one is in the public school, the Toronto District School Board. And, you know, this isn't a public service announcement for chat, but uh, I'll just tell, tell you my experience 
is that chat did a really fine job of pivoting very quickly and nothing was lost. And the school that my daughter's at, the Toronto District School Board, really didn't do a very good job and uh, didn't communicate well. Mm. And uh, really, I think, shows us that the Jewish day schools uh, are putting effort into giving a product, you know, with, with the tuitions that parents are paying and the expectations that they have, uh, I think they, to a large extent, they've come through. So, to, But to me, that begs the question of, you know, what is the role of Jewish education? And if, as I see it, and as I've seen it, the, the facts on the ground is that every Jewish day school tries to um, show that they are exemplary as a school in every, in just about every field except for the Jewish studies part. So is Jewish day school about you know, socializing with other Jews and knowing that you can do that while still having your college prep education and still having great extracurriculars and still having wonderful facilities? Or is Jewish Day School about actually learning about Judaism? And it seems like very much the former. And you and I see that as one of the reasons why there is a decline, because parents are saying, well, if the only reason why I'm paying all this extra money is to go to a you know, great pri- or above average private school, let me pull my kid out and they're not getting great Jewish education because nobody, you know, despite everybody trying to spend so much time focusing on great Jewish education, you know, it doesn't end up happening. I might as well send them to a wonderful private school instead. I would disagree because I thought my education, I went to Hebrew Foundation School in the West Island of Montreal and then Herzliya High School back when there was a St. Laurent campus. And it was a very good Jewish education in both schools. And my Hebrew, I think that the Hebrew program at Herzliya is like one of the best ones in the country, if not the best. Um, My Hebrew was so good back at that time. I just haven't kept it up very well. But at that time, um, I went to Israel and people like asked me if I was from there. Um, The Jewish studies program was excellent. So I don't know if I agree with that. I think it was very heavily based on Judaism. Well, uh, these these are really important discussions. Um, I think it's a balancing act, and don't forget we have such a range of Jewish day schools, such different. Uh, yeah, that's very you know, true. From quite liberal and secular to quite orthodox, and mm-hmm. you're going to see a different emphasis, right, and a different type of parent body and different expectations. And um, I mean. Speaking about the non-Orthodox schools for a moment, I think it is a delicate balancing mm-hmm. act because I think, Avi, you're right that there are a certain constituent of parents who don't um, prioritize the Jewish education. They want their kids in a Jewish school uh, with Jewish kids, uh, but the Jewish studies isn't always as important. And then the kids pick up on that. That's a certain group of parents and mm. kids and schools uh, yeah, yeah. do need to uh, sometimes emphasize uh, what what the families want to hear, uh, which is, you know, we have excellent ju- uh, general studies and X, X percent of students get into university. Um, uh, but on the other hand, uh, you know, to various degrees, schools, uh, you know, considered the Jewish education to be... Uh, essential and what it's all about. And and the Jewish educators are very passionate and, and committed to instilling Jewish identity into the kids. So it's a continual balancing act for the schools, I think. Yeah. Not to totally put you on the spot, but I was wondering if you have any insight onto where we're at right now in terms of 
uh, denominational differences in regards to enrollment, because I was taking a look through the um, survey of Jews in Canada from 2018, and it was talking about how religious denomination can really affect uh, enrollment. Do you have a, a take on this of where we're at now? Uh, well, yeah, you're right. You're right, Alana, that uh, denomination plays a large role, and certainly the Orthodox are in, in Jewish day schools at very high numbers, yeah. and um, and conservative uh, somewhat less, and reform somewhat less, and and many Jews are are none of the above this year, uh, th- these days. Uh, right. About a, thir- a third of all Jews are what I like to call JJ, just Jewish. <laughs> And they don't belong to uh, any denominations. Yeah. And uh, th- that doesn't mean that they're not committed to Jewish For life. Sure. And many of them are in Jewish day schools, For sure. but not as much as Orthodox are. Um, I find that really interesting because something that I noticed, and we might have talked about this on a previous episode, but Montreal has like this kind of Orthodox conservative default that I realized because I-, I just spent the last five years in Vancouver. It's a very different uh, atmosphere there. And most of the friends that I made who were Jewish didn't speak Hebrew. Um, most of them did not go to a Jewish day school, maybe like a handful, but they all went to Jewish camp. And I found that really interesting because education can come in many forms. It's not just school. It could be a youth group, a teen program, a camp. Um, I, I, I just, it makes me wonder like what the future looks like in these types of communities where orthodoxy or uh, conservatism is not, is not the default. You know? Yeah, you bring up camp, which is so important, and research is showing the the uh, value of camp in in instilling Jewish identity. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, camps are are very well attended in Canada. Um, you know, over half the kids, yeah. as the, the survey showed, uh, or, or half the respondents were in camp at some point. Um, and so, you know, I would argue that day school and camp are probably your two most effective means. Um, we don't want to oversimplify mm-hmm. these things. Sometimes we think of it as sort of like a vaccination approach. Just stick your kid in this school and uh, they'll come out Jewish. Kind of like a dry cleaner. You know, you take your clothes <laughs> in in the big in the morning and then the, they're all ready to go at the end of the day. So sometimes you oversimplify these things. Um, but day school mm-hmm. and camp, you know, research shows and we're able to to examine these things closely. Uh, they, they do bring... Uh, fairly effective results, more so than, let's say, Jewish supplementary school. Yeah, it's interesting because I've always advocated for the position that if you're going to send uh, your kids to one of two schools, meaning whether you're going to send your kid to a Jewish elementary school and then a pro- public or private non-Jewish high school or vice versa, I always believe that sending a kid to a Jewish high school is vastly more important than a Jewish elementary school because if you really cared about your Judaism, whatever most Jewish day schools, let's say outside of very orthodox uh, environments or even within the orthodox environments are going to learn at the primary level can be lo- learned at home and then it's the high school that really differentiates your robust mm. Jewish your deep Jewish knowledge and deep Jewish learning um, as well as your socializing because it's the year between you know high school and in going into university that you will have your Jewish friends and you will keep in touch with them That's seeing them true. in the Hillel when you go and I mean I've had people really really dis you know, disagree with me. But what you're saying, Randall, is that um, it's that 
the, the, the whole dry cleaner model, we don't, if you believe that we're just sticking your kid in school and then taking them out and they're going to be Jewish, they have to be living it at home. And at the, if the Judaism at the elementary level, that living it at home is where most of that Judaism comes from. Whereas if we put all our efforts into Jewish high schools, which doesn't happen because that's the point when we have the more significant drop-offs, at least I believe so, and you can tell me if the numbers are wrong, then we actually might have a better, you know, bang for our buck by saying, let's put less effort into the primary schools and it's okay, but we really, really want you to go to a Jewish high school because Mm -hmm. we think that that's much more important. Well, this is... uh... A really uh, hotly debated question, and I discuss with my students at York, and I don't know if there's a there's an answer. Uh, Well, what's what's your answer? I I actually I'm torn because I think there's value in putting a a child in at an early age to get that foundation and that socialization and that kind of immersion. I also think there's great value in having them in an adolescent at a time when they're thinking about boyfriends and girlfriends and their future and they're they're more mature intellectually and mm-hmm. uh, they're but thinking you've about... seen you've seen kids that left school in sixth grade sorry in Ontario yeah. when, when do you leave elementary school sorry uh... <laughs> eight eight. Eighth, eighth grade, whatever it is, you leave elementary school and then they go to a public high school. You've seen these kids in university and beyond. What is yeah. their Jewish connection? Right. They, they, they. Yeah. If, I feel like the non-Jewish high school erases so much. Uh, well, you know, I think the more I'm thinking about it, you're, you're, you're pushing me to, to tell you that I think the value of high school is, is really high. And, uh, only if you believe it. If you don't, I, I, I want to hear you. <laughs> when I see my students in my classes who went to a Jewish high school, whether it be chat or uh, uh, some of the Orthodox schools, Ulpana and yeah. uh, or Chaim mm-hmm. and others. Now, of course, that's majority of them went all the way yeah, through. I was right? going to say those schools probably. That is yeah. true. So that is true. But but we should be preparing our stu- our high schools to say, you know what, ninth grade we have a program that is not just for the kids that are like, I know I taught in Jewish high schools and the beginner year for the kids that didn't go to a Jewish day school and that are coming in in ninth grade or in seventh grade in, you know, in Montreal, um, it's really, you feel like you're in the, you know, in the special class and it's not respected and it's not robust at all. It does, it's not designed to ramp you up to get to the rest of the group. Um, and there should be ways to get my that, high school was, you know, and make that a real yeah, thing. Yeah, we had a program that was, I forget the name of it, but it was tailored for the kids who had gone to non-Jewish day schools to catch up. Um, yeah, that's that's a high school that I taught at, and it was not really well, it was back. amongst the students. Oh, well respected. No, 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 not in terms of that, but in terms of having the foundation, it was there. But I, I, I kind of, agree. Yeah. I don't know, I, I'm like thinking out loud right now, but definitely the people who went to Jewish day school with me and like dropped off the face of the Jewish earth. Um, it's true. Like, I don't, I don't know how affiliated they are, but it depends on what school they went to because in Montreal, like a lot of people from my elementary went to WIC and WIC is a heavily Jewish, like a uh, student body, even though it's not a Jewish school. So like, it kind of depends. It's like when my dad was growing up, he went to Wager, which is where all the Jews went. Um, but even though it wasn't a Jewish school. So like when you have the people around you, it, there's a way to, uh, keep it. But let's say kids who went to like Riverdale or like other schools, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how affiliated they are. And I definitely, I don't have any friends from elementary school. So that says something like I haven't retained any of those friendships from when I was 12. Um, the, the interesting thing that, that this conversation made me think of is Avi, you and I are used to this kind of like grade, uh, seven to 11 model for high school. That's a pretty sizable chunk of going through like 
um, you know, your more prepubescent years, like up until like maturity. But in other parts of Canada, starting at grade nine, I wonder how much those just, uh, I guess it's 9, 10, 11, 12. Oh, never mind. There's grade 12. I was going to say, I wonder if it would make as much of a difference because like you're skipping over the part where you're like growing into yourself. Um, but it is still four years. I was thinking it ended in grade 11, but there you go. I'm still in my Quebec brain. Well, Abby, I don't know what, which high school you're taught at. I don't know if we're going to reveal that or not. It's uh, fine. I taught at Hertzley High School in, uh, in St. Laurent. In uh, okay. So you're both Montrealers, sounds like. Yeah, but I also taught, I, I lived for 10 years in the U.S., so I taught in a number of uh, big prestigious high schools and elementary schools in a little bit in elementary, mainly high school um, in the U.S. I taught at Maimonides in Boston, and I taught at the uh, Chicago Line Jewish High School in Chicago, which is now called the Rochelle Zell uh, Jewish High School, I believe. So I've taught in, you know, conservative settings, orthodox settings, community settings, um, and the ones that are serious about their Judaism, you know, I, you, you feel it. Um, but at the high school level, you, you really, that's where you're impacting, right? I would have seniors come to me and ask me for advice for what they're doing next year. And I would always say, don't lose what you're doing. And I used to, I used to of course, because you're a Jewish studies professor, I would tell them, right, it's important to minor in Jewish studies so that at least once a semester, you're doing something Jewish. Once a, once a week, right, in a class, you're, you're, you have your mind in a Jewish book and you're, ha you're, you're thinking about th that Jewishly because you want that continuity. And the high school into adulthood is, is to me, you know, the core of where things should be going. But I don't know. What do you think, Randall? Where, where's well, your I, I think we need mind to, in this discussion? Yeah, no, I think we need to point out what Tannenbaum Chat has done in terms of what they call the New Stream program, where they specifically designed a program to bring in kids who are not in the Jewish day school system. And they take it quite seriously and it's uh, it's growing. Um, and uh, as far as I can see, it's quite successful in, in, in integrating those students into the into the chat, um, you know, system. And uh, they, they bring them up to speed and uh, they go on to do well from what I from what I can see. So, uh, you know, the the Jewish educators would say the best thing is to have kids in Jewish day school as long as possible. And if right. we're seeing a, a decline in the elementary school, which we are, then that's mm -hmm. going to hurt the high school because then you're going to have less yeah. to draw from, notwithstanding the, this, this group that do come from outside the day school system, which is still relatively small. So, um, um, I mean, we haven't talked about affordability yet, which I think yeah, is kind of the elephant in the room, up. but I, I don't know that's where you want to go. That's because I'm from Montreal, and, and, and the government does give us some money for, for, for Jewish day schools, but it is, you're right, affordability is a huge question, but that's, I have my own solutions to affordability, but I'm curious what your, uh, what your quick thoughts are on affordability, and are there any work workarounds for that? Yeah, well, this is something that I think a lot about, both personally, uh, I both my kids went through the Jewish day school system, one right through right, right into high school, one um, until the end of middle school. And affordability, I can tell you from a personal point of view, is, is uh, a serious challenge. And I would say for the last many, many years, it's been sort of intractable problem, but I'm happy to report that I think I've seen some good turning points um, Two, two major initiatives, I would say, have happened in the last few years. And maybe you're familiar with what, for example, Tannenbaum Chat did with, uh, with the private donations from uh, local philanthropists of $14 million. Um, 
about four years ago now, which reduced tuitions by about 30% at chat. Wow. We're talking, just so our viewers are familiar, we're talking about a, a reduction of 28,000 a year to about 18 or 19,000 a year. I had a Jewish day school administrator who was a colleague of mine who once, uh, he, he used the image, Alana, if, if you want to know what Jewish day school is, this is the image, right? Imagine if you have two kids in Jewish day school, you're buying a Lexus every year and you're pushing it off a cliff. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. I can't wait for that on yeah. my artist salary. <laughs> uh, tuitions have been obscene. And I'd say 18000 is is also obscene, but less so than 28000 mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. you know, I was involved in in the major study, which helped Chat to develop this attempt to find uh, a way to lower tuition. And the the question was, how much tuition reduction would actually make a difference to families if we reduced it by ten percent? Mm. And you were kind of thinking about Chat, but you're not sure. Would you now come? What about twenty percent? And the answer was. If you reduce it by about 30%, then I would seriously consider these are those who are a little bit on the fence. And right. sure enough, believe it or not, I was shocked. I remember when it happened, I was uh, at my daughter's softball practice and I got an email that Chad indeed had reduced their tuition by 30% for five years guaranteed. Uh, and now we're into the fourth year. And it's Avi, it's uh, made a difference. How sustainable is that to get private donations regularly to do that? Well, that's a challenge. Uh, the question is, what's going to happen yeah. after the five years? And, and, so, and I, that's a question that concerns me as a, as a, as yeah. a parent of a student. So I, I'm firmly, it's not my original idea, but I'm very, very much in the camp of taking the cost of Jewish day school and distributing it as some sort of a tax in the Jewish community in general. Synagogue memberships, um, donations, federation, uh, gym memberships at the fed, at the local JCC. And it should be broken out as a line item to say, this is Jewish day school money. You don't have kids in this school. First of all, if you have kids, you're amortizing your cost over the, your lifetime as a member of the Jewish community. If you don't have kids anymore or you never had kids, you're, you are directly benefiting from Jewish day schools existing in the community by producing more active, more and more active Jewish members in the community over a long period of time. And that cost should be borne by the community at large. I should be able to have a synagogue membership um, structure that adds $100 or $200 to my fee that says this is for paying for Jewish day schools across the board. It should be in my library membership at the Jewish library. It should be in my um, in my federation annual donation. It should be in everything that I'm doing. And people should understand the incredible value and importance of Jewish day schools, you know, for the health of the Jewish community. Wow. That, that's uh, quite a quite a request you've thought this through clearly for a long time it's very this is, detailed this is what pitch. i do i think things so, sounds good to me avi but I, i'm not sure i agree i i don't think uh everyone in the jewish community um feels that jewish day school is uh important to them and i'm not sure that everyone necessarily needs to there's lots of ways to be jewish and some for some being jewish is more important than others. And I think we have great diversity here. And and listen, synagogue uh, fees are so high anyways. Now you're going to say you got to pay another $100 for Jewish day school that you don't I, I, Because of, even if you don't send your kids to Jewish day school, even if you don't see the value for your kids, you are still benefiting from graduates of Jewish day schools, 
right? The 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 commu- the robustness of a of a healthy Jewish community is based on a backbone of graduates of Jewish day schools. And if we really believe that, we should be able to sell that to communities and to say, if you don't have Jewish day schools in 20 years, your community is going to die because people aren't really feeling it. People aren't, there's no real uh, leaders to draw from that have Jewish knowledge. And, you know, you want this sustainability, you should be willing to pay for it. Well, it's it's an infrastructure cost, if you ask me. It's not a so, Sounds good. I'm a huge supporter of day schools. I went through one. My kids are there. I met my wife in the hallway there. Uh, but I don't, I don't agree with you because I don't think everyone needs to buy into the same vision of what it means to be Jewish. Right. Uh, a day school vision is a is is an important one and it can have great effects. But it's 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 not the only way to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, not the only lens through which to see uh, proper Jewish. I'm not disagreeing. And I don't think Jewish day school is for everybody, but I see it as like, you know, even if I never go to a museum or never go to the symphony or never go to the theater, my tax dollars are supporting the Canada Council for the Arts because culture and arts make a robust part of a community. And I wouldn't, and people would not want to be part of a community that doesn't have those things there, even if they don't avail themselves of it. I don't know if that's true. I think there, I, I kind of, I don't know, I feel in between both of you, as I usually do. And you're do. the artist. Oh, no, no, not in terms of Canada Council. No, 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 no. Let me clarify that. Please give us all the money. We are very poor. But uh, in terms of yeah, the Jewish would you, tax. Would you go to somebody, if somebody came to yeah. you, if somebody came to you and but said, everyone benefits from the arts. My, my, everyone want... benefits from the arts. Look at the pandemic. That's exactly my point. <laughs> no, I know, but I don't know if that's the perfect comparison. I, I, I'm not saying that I disagree that, that Jewish day school isn't important. And I did go through it and I will when I have kids put them through it um, if I can afford it. But um, I just, I, I would have to agree that from my experience of meeting Jews from like many different backgrounds, especially when I was in BC, I don't know that everyone feels the same way. And I think that, that it kind of puts this expectation on all Jewish Canadians to say, this is what Judaism is. And people uh, should have the ability to, no. to define that for themselves. You, you don't have to, I'm saying you don't have to go to Jewish day school. It's not for everybody. I'm okay with that. But everybody does benefit from it. The same way you don't have to be an artist and you don't have to buy art or buy a symphony ticket, but that is an essential feature of Canada. Well, that's a good debate. And I, uh, I, I hope our listeners... You're, uh, staying, you're staying out of it. Well, I, I told you my opinion. <laughs> I don't agree with you. Uh, yeah. I get it. I no, agree. no, no, yeah. you Stick to um, it. We love it. Um, what do you think, like, if there are, I mean, what are the one or two things that absolutely do work and should be implemented to be thinking about the future of Jewish education in Canada? Well, you know, I, th- I think affordability is, is huge and it's important that we're talking about it. And it's, it's, a, it's not the only reason why we've seen the decline, but it's a main reason. The other reason is, is perceived value. In other words, people don't value it as much as they maybe did couple decades or a few decades ago. It's no, no longer seen as something you have to do. Um, and then you put, you interact the two together. It's like, well, it's important, but it's not that important. And it's so expensive. So if it was a little less expensive, right. then I could find that tipping point. You know what I'm trying to say? And I think the strategies, yeah. you know, we've tried many strategies to lower the prices, you know, lobby the provincial government, um, all kinds of things uh, which have not been successful. 
And I, again, see this as a surprising turning point that I, that I didn't think we would ever come to. It's, it's kind of like the Middle East peace process. Like you, you just never think it could happen. What, what I see is uh, philanthropists stepping up in a huge way. And other cities around the continent are, are, are looking at the model of what we did here at, at Tannenbaum Chat and seeing that grade nine enrollment went up from 200 to 300. Um, and this is a, a good example. And the other thing, Avi, that, that the Federation has just started is this Generations Trust uh, program, which is a, a type of tuition cap strategy. This is another yeah, strategy. Montreal as well. And yeah. other cities have done it. And as you may have heard, it just came in this spring of 2021. There, there's a cap of 21,000 per family. Now, if you have one kid, that's not going to do anything. But if you have, if you're Avi Feingold with an eight, a nine, yep. and 11 year old, <laughs> and you want to send them all to Jewish day school for 21,000. And summer camp. Well, well, no, you have to remember we're in Montreal. Summer, uh, uh, the day school tuition is much, much less, much okay. less, about half of that. Yeah. But, but we do cap it and they do cap it per child and absolutely, um, yeah. But you're 100% right. I'm learning so much today about my childhood. Um, what was, and this is our, just to close things off, what was the uh, moment that you felt gave you the most value or the moment that you realized the tremendous value of Jewish day school, whether it was you as a student or you as a parent or both? Well, it's just, it, I, I went all the way through. I went to Ramah Hebrew Day School in Winnipeg until grade four. I went to United Synagogue Day School, which is now Robbins Hebrew Academy, until grade nine. And then I went to Tannenbaum Chat, was they called Chat then. And just the whole collective experience, it, it made such an impression on me. Uh, the people that I met, the values, the, the work ethic, uh, mm -hmm. It just became a, a part one, of of who I am. Now, do, do I think that if I would have gone to different types of schools, I, I would have been lost in life? No, but it it was uh, an important uh, you know journey for me, and really solidified who I am as a Jew. Um, and uh, yeah, I went on to be a Jewish studies professor. Uh, amazing. And uh, it's an important part of, of who I am. And it's not, I'm not saying it's for everyone. There's lots of ways to be Jewish. Um, but for those who are interested in Jewish day school and camp, particularly Jewish day school, I think we need to continue to find ways, strategies to address the affordability uh, crisis particularly in Ontario, as we, which is different than Quebec, where the provincial government gives no subsidy, and Quebec they do. And this is a major difference. It's not the only reason why Montreal has such a rich day school enrollment levels, but it's one of the reasons. And so as uh, someone here in Ontario who focuses my research on the Toronto situation, um, I, I see some light here that I hadn't seen in a long time, and I hope that the community will continue to, to find ways to uh, to make this more affordable and accessible for those who, who want it. Dr. Randall Schnoor, thanks so much for uh, enlightening us. And uh, I hope that we can have a chance to chat about, no pun intended, uh, this and uh, many other topics in the future. Um, and uh, it's been great to have you on. Great to be on. Shana Tova to you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Shana Tova. Shana Tova.
Our rabbinic voice this week comes to us from Toronto. Rabbi Eli Carfunkel is joining us, and he is the rabbi of the Forest Hills Jewish Center. What I want to share with you, I think, is the most powerful idea for Rosh Hashanah. You know, I, I used to be a rabbi in Oshawa, Ontario, and for the first time in the history of the world, someone went on their honeymoon trip to Oshawa. I don't know how my friend convinced his wife to go to Oshawa from New York on their honeymoon. And sure enough, they went, they spent a beautiful showers with us. I think they went to the car museum. And on their way back, he took a wrong turn. And instead of heading to Buffalo, he was headed towards Windsor. And of course, his wife didn't say anything because they're married like eight days. But she's thinking, you know, I should already be, we should already be in the States at this point. And only when they hit the border at Windsor did she say, you know, I think we made a right when we should have made a left. Anyways, he turns around and he drives back and he sleeps in Niagara Falls and he goes, they go back home. Why am I saying this story? Because, you know, we, we like to think that, you know, we're, we're so far away from where we should be. But Hashem only wants one thing from us. He only wants us to make a U-turn. You know, someone went to Lubavitcher Rebbe and said, you know, I, I don't go to shul on the high holidays because I, I don't want to feel like a hypocrite. I don't go the whole year. So if I go on the high holidays, I'm, I'm like a hypocrite. So Lubavitcher Rebbe said, my dear, my dear fellow, he says, your true self is the person that shows up to shul on Rosh Hashanah in Yom Kippur. The fake self is the one that doesn't show up. Be the real you. Being a hypocrite is not going to shul. Your real essence is wanting to connect to the one above. And so, look, my favorite sport is baseball. If I had one Rosh Hashanah message for you, I would say, you win the game of baseball when you come home. Coming home means coming back to who you are, feeling comfortable in your own skin, and connecting to the one above. That's what it's all about. Rosh Hashanah and Kippur are not scary days. It's about rounding third base and coming home and feeling really good about yourself. I used to play ball outside of my house, and we used to play as soon as we got home from school, and eventually my mother would open up the window and say, Ellie, it's time to come in for dinner. And even though I might, I want to play more, it was very soothing to know that my mother said, Ellie, it's time to come home. My friends, Rosh Hashanah is a couple of days away. Hashem has opened up the window, and he says, enough playing ball, my dear Ellie. It's time to come home to your Father in heaven and break bread with me and connect with me. That's all I want is to be in your presence. And if that's all Hashem wants, you know what? It's not such a big deal. Let's come home to where we ought to be and where we feel great about ourselves. I want to wish everyone a Kasiva Chasimatova, an amazing, healthy, amazing year. And I look forward to seeing you at your home when the time allows. Be well. And of course, now we come to the part of our show where we discuss our Nachas of the Week, where we like to find something that's been giving us some good feeling and some good news um, for the week past and the week ahead. Uh, Alana, what's been your Nachas of the Week? I am very excited about the relaunch of the CJN. Listeners, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out uh, the new CJN website. It's thecjn.ca. And it looks so good. Um, everything is so it's got a, formatted. It's in it's dark so, mode. It's like in dark mode. I, like it pops. And I really love how much the CJN has accommodated um, the reality that we live in now and, and is really trying to engage people with all the podcasts. We even have a page that talks all about every podcast, has little bios and our photos and everything. And you can get all of the episodes right there on one one page um, and get all of your articles. And I'm, I'm really excited too about the magazine 
that's going to be coming out, I believe, in 2022. I'm a sucker for reading things in print. The magazine so is out. The it's, magazine no, is not, out. Not in print. Right? Yes. The magazine is out. It I is saw something about 2022. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's out now, There's a... but it's online. Is that right? No, there is print editions out. Oh if God. you are a subscriber, okay, if you have talking. subscribed to the CJN, you can get a magazine. Um, there are some available, and uh, I recommend um, there's the holidays pr- print is out this year. It will be starting quarterly in 2022. That is your, um, that's the spin, but there is a holiday ah, edition out there that is out go. right now that it is beautiful. It's glossy. Um, there's a reprint of the uh, Jake Gold podcast um, episode is in there. Um, other podcasts are featured and other in- interesting um, CJN contributors and print only stuff is happening on there. So yeah, the magazine is nice. Uh, what is your Nachas this week, Avi? So uh, I'm going to continue the the log rolling for the CJN. Um, it's a good way to end off our 5781, um, our year of uh, interestingness. Uh, I did some reporting yesterday for the CJN Daily. It was kind Ooh. of interesting. I don't usually uh, act as a reporter, but I got my little, you know, portable uh, field mic out. And uh, I went to uh, a Hasidic uh, vaccination clinic and uh, I did some on, on-site interviews and some, you know, uh, story creating and we did a live uh you know piece there uh check it out it's actually on today's uh, cjn daily with ellen besner um ellen gave me the shot she was like hey you're in montreal we need somebody to cover this and uh, i look forward to doing more collaborative work um ellen's doing great reporting work and if you want to know what to know about in jewish canada um check out the cjn daily it's really uh, a great daily podcast and uh it's a great compliment to listening to uh, Bonjour Chai. Not compliment with an E, compliment with an I, compliment with an E. It's a, you know, a good... It tags along on the side. <laughs> there we go. It's a good, good little, yeah. Anyways, so uh, yeah, check out Bonjour uh, check out Bonjour Chai, of course. Check out the CJN Daily uh, with Ellen Bessner. I did some reporting. I had fun and uh, I hope to do some more or some other stuff. Sounds great. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for Thursday, September 2nd. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Technical production is by Andre Goulet, and our music is by So Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab, and we are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our new page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And when you do subscribe, please do leave a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice. I'm Avi Feingold. And I'm Ilana Zakon. 